Things are worse today than they have ever been. Have you ever had that thought? It's hard not to when you look around and see what's going on in society, and this really is a claim that every generation has made. But it's a bit of an overstatement in my opinion. Sure, one can argue that there is this alarming downward spiral when it comes to morality these days. But the good news is there are still a whole lot of people who are striving to live a good life. And that has not always been the case. There was a period in history when the acceptance and participation in evil, in violence, sexual immorality, greed, dishonesty, was unlike anything ever seen before or since. On the mind of every single person all of the time was pure evil. So depraved was humanity that God finally decided that wiping the earth or the face of the earth clean of human beings was the best possible decision he could make. And so he did with a mighty flood. You know, this 40-day rainstorm, every living thing, man, woman, child, and even the family pet, drowned. You say, okay, wait just a minute. If that's true, then how is it that so many centuries later, we're still here? That's a great question. Here's my answer. We are here because of God's grace. But we also owe a huge debt of gratitude to one man in particular. We're going to look at his story for just a moment. If you'll open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, listen to what's written about this man, beginning in verse 8, and then we will read verse 13 and then verse 18. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Has it ever crossed your mind that in all likelihood we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for this one man, Noah, making the courageous decision to live his life out of step with his culture? Do you realize that it is within you to have this same type of impact upon this and future generations. That you have the power within you to break generational family dysfunction. That you can help your friends break free from destructive behavior. That you can show your neighbors how to live a fulfilling life. Now, how do I know this? I, I know this because Peter, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit, assures us that we've been given everything that we need, God's power and his promises to live in a productive and effective life, the type of life that can have an impact on future generations. There is one condition, though. The condition is this. We must add certain qualities to our faith, qualities that are mentioned by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 through 7. Now this morning, we're going to focus on the fifth of these qualities, but just to remind ourselves of what we've covered so far, let's pick up Peter's thought in verse 5. Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort, or go all out, to add to your faith goodness. Goodness, remember, is to excel at doing what is right and avoiding what is evil. And then add to your goodness knowledge. Knowledge about what? Knowledge about God's will. And to knowledge, add self-control. We must defeat our sinful nature by making top-of-the-hill decisions. And to self-control, add perseverance. We must go all out to keep going. And to perseverance, add godliness. Godliness is going to be our focus. What is it? Let's start there. Godliness sounds a lot like goodness. And there is a commonality, but there's also a huge distinction. 
It's kind of like this. You can be a good person, not lie, not cuss, not look at porn, and not, look at, and not be godly. A lot of people are. You, you can do a lot of good. You can do the dishes for the family. You can volunteer to be the team mom. You can fight against social injustice and not be godly. That describes a lot of people. A godly person is and does good, but not every person who does or, or is good is necessarily godly. And so what makes a godly person or what makes a good person godly? Let's go back to this man that we owe this huge debt of gratitude to. Listen to how scripture describes Noah. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah didn't gain God's favor simply because he thought better thoughts or he avoided sinful behavior or he did a lot of good deeds. Noah was favored by God because he included God in his life all of the time. It didn't matter if he was out chopping wood to build a boat or if he was preparing a sacrifice for worship. He walked in intimate relationship with God 24-7. That's what godliness is. Godliness is to be deeply aware of and inclusive of God in every area of one's life. There is no compartmentalization. A godly person is just as mindful of God on Monday at the office, on Wednesday at soccer practice, on Friday at the beach, as he or she is on Sunday during an online worship service. Now, whether we are mindful of God, we are mindful of God or not, he's always with us. God's not like a kid sister who's just sticking around waiting for an invite to be included, to join in. God always joins in on whatever we're doing and wherever we're going. Now, that doesn't mean he necessarily approves of everything that we do or the place that we go, but he is always there. David reflects upon the ongoing presence of God in Psalm chapter 139 and verse 7 through 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Paul reminds us that God is not watching us like some big eye in the sky, but rather God is always with us because he dwells in us. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Don't gloss over this. God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one whose glory is so brilliant that man cannot look at his face. The one whose love is pure and endless. He dwells in us. He is always with us, whether we recognize his presence or not. And that's pretty incredible to think about, isn't it? Yet, if we're absolutely honest, most of us have to admit that we can go days, if not weeks, without even thinking about God. Now, how can this be? Just about every first-time visitor to the campus of Pepperdine University has this thought go through their mind. How in the world does a student get any studying done on this campus? As most of you know, that hillside campus, it overlooks the Pacific Ocean. It offers one of the most beautiful views in all of the country. And it's hard to imagine that a student would be able to take their eyes off that beautiful landscape long enough to be able to read a book or write a paper. Yet on more than one occasion, I've listened to a student say this, 
They'll say something like, you know, within a, a few weeks or a few days, you just kind of stop noticing. You, you stop noticing what's around you. You begin to take it for granted. But not only that, you just get busy. Life gets in the way. I mean, who has time to, to watch the waves crash onto the beach when you have deadlines to meet and people to impress and you have dreams to achieve? And it's really not until years later when you're working some job off in East Texas that it kind of dawns on you that maybe I should have taken a little more time to take in the ocean view and air while I was still there. In many ways, this is exactly what happens to us in our relationship with God. We just begin to take his glorious presence for granted, but also life gets in the way. We, we get busy. A lot of things come up and God gets crowded out of, of our schedules. And if we're going to add godliness to our faith, then we're going to have to go all out to tune in and enjoy the presence of God. This requires intentionality. If you're just kind of waiting for that perfect time to arise when your life slows down, just forget about it. That's probably not going to happen. You're going to have to be intentional about this. And so I want to just help get you started. I want to suggest to you this morning that spending time with God needs to go into your daily, weekly, quarterly, and weekly plan. Let me offer some suggestions to you about how to make this happen. I'll start with the daily. I want to encourage you to set aside 30 minutes every single day, even if it means you have to wake up 30 minutes early to spend time with God. Now, just a few minutes, we're going to talk about what to do during that time, but the important thing is you just get the idea you're going to set a daily appointment. You're going, to you're going to treat this appointment the same way you would an appointment with a very close friend or the CEO of, a, of your company. It's one of those appointments that you wouldn't think about canceling unless it was an absolute emergency. That's what you're going to do every single day. Now, once a week, set aside your work, set aside your email, set aside your honeydew to worship and rest and play and connect with God. This is commonly referred to as a Sabbath. You say, okay, but, but a Sabbath is an Old Testament concept. We're not required to keep the Sabbath anymore. Well, true, that's, that's right, but my question would be, why don't you want to? I mean, the Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. It's a gift. It's this gift that allows us to set aside our work so that we can reconnect or reorient our hearts back towards God. So important is Sabbath that God modeled it for us by resting on the seventh day from his creation. Now, if you're thinking, there's no way, I just don't have the time to give up an entire day, let me encourage you to start with a half a day. I'm convinced that if you use that day in the right way, if you rest, if you use it for rejuvenation and connection with God, you'll come to the conclusion sooner rather than later that you can't afford not to Sabbath. Because you find yourself far more centered and far more productive the rest of the week. Next suggestion, fast quarterly. Take time, set aside a meaningful activity, maybe a necessary activity, and use that time to really focus on spending time with God. Now, for most people, that means they skip meals for the day just to spend that time with God. It may be just as beneficial for you to set aside the time that you would use on hobbies, social media, video games, watching TV, so that you can really tune into your relationship with God. 
Find time to do that. And while fasting is rarely mentioned or emphasized these days, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 seem to indicate that he just kind of anticipated that this would be a regular practice or a regular discipline in the life of his followers. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16, he says, When, not if, but when you fast. It's important that we set aside time to fast, but it's also very important that we decide on why we are going to fast or the purpose of our fast. There are several different purposes that are mentioned or modeled for us in Scripture. You may decide to fast to seek God's guidance about some situation in your life. This is what we find Paul and Barnabas doing in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. It might be to express grief. We find Nehemiah doing this in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1 through 4. Maybe it is to seek deliverance from a situation or, or from persecution. This is what we find Ezra doing in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21 through 23. It could be to repent. We find the king of Nineveh doing this in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5. Maybe it's to gain victory. This is what the Israelites did. They took time to fast before they went to battle with the Benjamites in Judges chapter 20 and verse 26. It could be simply to worship God, just as Anna did in Luke chapter 2 and verse 37. Or maybe it's to prepare for the work God is calling you to. Jesus models this for us in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2. Final suggestion, spend an entire week once a year doing something that connects you closely to God. It might be going on a spiritual retreat for an entire week. Maybe it is volunteering or attending daybreak Bible camp. Maybe it's going someplace that reminds you of God. You might go to the Grand Canyon. You might go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. Maybe it's the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. Maybe it's the place that you put Christ on in baptism. Maybe it's where Paul preached on Mars Hill. You say, that sounds great, but I, I don't have the time or the money to do that. Well, first, money should not be an issue. You can spend as much or as little on this as you want to. It doesn't take much money to put together a pretty good week-long spiritual retreat, or you could even volunteer to serve other people for absolutely free for an entire week. Or you might decide to spend a lot of money and travel, travel over to the Holy Lands. It's completely up to you. Time may be an issue for some of us, but not for most of us. Most of us have anywhere from two weeks to two months for vacation. Time probably isn't the issue, but desire may be. It's just not in us. We don't, we don't have that passion to spend this kind of time with God. So let me suggest to you to stir that desire, get around other people who have done something or gone somewhere that has really helped them reconnect with God. Spend some time in conversation with people when they come back from the Pepperdine Bible Lectures, Harbor as it's called now. Take some time to listen to a teen when they come back from Daybreak Bible Camp, or listen to a member when they return from a, a mission trip. When you hear the joy and excitement in that person, it oftentimes just kind of creates a fire in you to do something similar, or to go someplace like they've been. Now that fire doesn't last for long, and so you want to be quick to act. You want to put it on the calendar. You want to build out the itinerary. You want to put a down payment. You want to put in vacation time. Just make sure you take some type of action. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be intentional about spending time enjoying the presence of God daily, weekly, 
quarterly and yearly. Now, just as it, as it is important to be intentional about spending time with God, we also must be intentional about how we use that time. So let me share with you three suggestions that I believe will lead us to being not just good, but godly people. One, spend time reflecting on who God is. Not who you've created him to be, but who God is as he is revealed by Jesus in scripture. Think about his holiness, his jealousy, his power, his justice, his love. You know you've done this well when it fills you with a sense of awe and wonder. If you spend time doing this and you think, well, ho hum, on to the next activity, then you really haven't spent time thinking about God's nature. When people in Scripture came into the presence of God, they were so filled with awe and wonder by His glory that most often it left them speechless. When they did find words to speak, most of the time those words were words of confession. Upon seeing God exalted on His heavenly throne, Isaiah spoke these words in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The reaction of Peter after seeing the power of Jesus, God in the flesh, very similar. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Reflecting on God's nature should lead us to being able to recognize and confess those areas of our lives that are out of line with the will of God. And yes, it can be incredibly humbling and also sobering to see our, our sin for what it truly is, but at the same time, we find joy in the knowledge that God welcomes and forgives all those who come to him with their sin. Second, spend time reflecting on what God has done and he is doing. Think about God and him creating the entire universe, for him entering into covenant with Abraham, for him freeing the Israelites from Egyptian captivity and protecting Daniel from hungry lions, to him coming in the flesh, paying for our sin on the cross, walking out of the tomb, God making known the good news to us, for him transforming our lives, to him continually providing for us what we need and then promising eternal life. You know you've done this well when you are filled with gratitude to the point, gratitude to the point that your heart bursts forth with celebratory worship. Worship like the worship we see taking place in the heavenly realms as described in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11. The 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Another thing that separates godly people from good people is the focus of their worship. Good people do a lot of great stuff, but oftentimes it's because they want to be recognized or appreciated, sort of self-worship, if you will. Godly people do what they do for no other reason then they want God to receive the glory and the honor that is due him for all that he has done and continues to do. They lay down their crowns by giving credit for what they do and their accomplishments to, accomplishment to the one who is truly worthy of wearing the crown, King Jesus. Then finally, spend time reflecting on what God desires. 
So often when we come into the presence of God, we are quick to share with him what we desire. And that's okay because God invites us to do so. But godliness is best formed by listening to what God desires for us. How he desires for us to use our time or our money, our talents, how he wants us to invest our assets, who he wants us to spend time with, where he wants us to live. Now, how do you know if you're truly hearing from God? Well, the obvious question is, does it align with scripture? If what you are hearing does not align with scripture, that's not God speaking. But aside from that, if what you hear does not challenge you, then I would humbly suggest that you're not tuning in closely enough to God. You see, God loves to speak words of challenge because his desire is for us to grow. Another thing that separates godly people from good people is whether or not they're willing to obey. Good people are quick to obey when it's something that they're comfortable with, when it makes sense, when it feels safe, when it's within their capability. Godly people, they obey whether it makes sense or not. Godly people move before they know where they are going. Think Abraham. They build boats when there's not a rain cloud in the sky. Think about Noah. They go to battle with over nine foot tall giants with just a slingshot. Think about Goliath. They step out of a boat in the middle of the sea. Think about Peter. They plant churches in unknown lands. Think about Paul. They give beyond their means. Think about the early church. And it is because of people just like those that I've mentioned that we're incredibly blessed today. And it is because of people like you, godly people, not just good people, but godly people, that the future generation will be incredibly blessed as well.